Hello and welcome everybody to Sonic Talk episode number, uh, what is it, 449 recording today, this week, uh, Wednesday the 25th of May. Uh, before I get things started, I should say thank you very much to our sponsors, Isotope. There will be a uh, competition announcement from last week where we changed products and so now uh, they're offering Vocal Synth, which is their fantastic new vocoder app. Uh, application and plugin, and uh, that will be coming about halfway in the show. We'll announce last week's winner, and we'll have a, a competition for you. Also, want to say uh, thank you for everybody in the chat room for joining us. We have a fulsome chat room, as is uh, one thing I like to say. Good lord, there's there's lots of them, lots of them everywhere. And also, uh, I want to say. Um, uh, there was something else I wanted to say. Oh, yeah, no show next week. I'm on holiday, so there won't be a live show next week. So you can take a break and uh, contemplate how bereft your life is without Sonic Talk in it. But um, aside from that, if you're wondering what Sonic Talk is, obviously this is the music and technology podcast, weekly podcast, uh, where we discuss everything with various different guests to do with music technology. Uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube's channel because it's streaming live to youtube as well and also it's available on itunes as an mp3 and podcast.com and various other places as mp3s right that's the housekeeping done let's say hello to our guests who's this we seem to have mr geert beaven who is there in uh that looks very much like the moog sound lab kit yes it is here in Asheville. wow so you are in the hallowed room that's the place where they film all that wonderful stuff with all the various artists i was watching something the other day actually from um uh juliana barwick which was really gorgeous i thought uh, but anyway that's i'm getting ahead of I... myself i'm getting up gert beaven is the guy who is uh behind the moog model 15 application for ios which has just come out which is a fantastic application and it's been sort of pushed i i saw your job title as senior software engineer which uh, looks very impressive and it looks like you've got a, a lot of hardware behind you at the same time also gert has been uh, involved in many other um, projects which hopefully we could talk to him about in terms of his uh, hardware and uh, his general use of interesting and unusual musical inputs but anyway Gert, how are you you've been at moogfest i'm awesome yeah i just came back from moogfest was it's a wonderful festival, such a great platform where everyone is exchanging and was so open. All the artists just mingled with the people that were attending the festival. Um, the modular marketplace was constantly full with people, which was right next to uh, the Moe pop-up factory. And so it was this very nice dynamic of, you know, passionate uh, musicians that just trying everything out and meeting their idols or co-musicians or uh us the engineers uh, it was it was really good that sounds it we had uh katie kilbite who was on the ground there um sort of documenting it for us we hope to have a couple of videos up from her we've just got to sort through it all and uh, and, and we'll have that up also obviously the big news was that the model d was uh, was announced there but we'll we'll talk about that later um We'll also say hello to Gaz Williams. Gaz Williams uh, dot me, a professional bass player, music technologist, and uh, uh, iPad Pro owner. So he's been enjoying the Model 15 app immensely, I believe. How are you, Gaz? Oh, really, really good, thank you. Um, I've actually got my old, well, my old, it's hardly old, ceremony. I've been putting a lot of time into that. And uh, what I haven't done yet, but I'm looking forward to doing, is driving the... Um, model 15 off the ceremony uh ah. have, have you tried that Geert? 
No, I haven't. I haven't actually. I've yeah. tried quite a few different controllers with it. Um, one, one, one that was quite nice that I didn't get to try myself, but we we've been in contact with the guys from Touche. I don't know if you remember that one from now. Yeah, yeah. Base controller, um, which is extremely sensitive, um, and they've they've been you know testing it with the Model 15 app and sending us some demo videos. So um, yeah, I can see it being yeah. very nice with Germany. Ah, that sounds cool, though, that Touche thing. Because I'll, uh, you know, I've talked to quite a few people about that Touche since, what was it? It was at NAM, wasn't it, I think? Yes. Was it NAM this year? Yes. Um, it hasn't surfaced yet, though, in, in the great Wild West world thing. Oh, they're, they were talking about That's what it looks it like. Over the year, I think. In case like you were wondering, oh, okay. it, it's a pressure, it's like a sort of pressure-sensitive platform that has x y up down left right and you know tilt and it you can trans it, it's it's got cv output and also usb so it allows you to control directly analog synthesis but also via midi as well just in case you're can wondering I, so something okay because geert um i i've been aware of you since the eigenheart when the eigenheart first came out and i realized oh, yeah. and then Obviously, with uh, Gecko, which is a leap motion controller yep. that uh, that sends out all sorts of MIDI, a very nicely designed app, very very good. But seeing you along the line there is like uh, all about expressivity, isn't it? And um, I just think it's fascinating now to be in that Model Fifteen, that world, combining it with that love of uh, expressivity. Would you say that? is where you're coming from yeah it's been for me like always about streaming expressive expressivity from your body in which in any which way possible and then getting that connected to a synthesizer that is able to leverage that and you know having, yes. having a monster that allows you to be very expressive also in your sound design and be uh, very comfortable with experimenting with the sound design on on your tablet sort of is a nice answer to uh, creating unique patches that completely respond to these expressive inputs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about here, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got a long history of kind of championing the alternative and some in some cases, slightly weird and wonderful controller inputs and various instruments. I mean, it's stuff that I was first aware of it with the Eigenharp, which, you know, is... A really unusual thing. I mean, what is it that because you're a singer-songwriter and performer yourself? I mean, what what is it that drew you to that kind of unique method? I mean, what what path did you did you take to get there? I'm, so I, I'm a guitar player. I've, I've been a guitar player since I was 12, 12 years old, mostly steel string guitar. Um, but then when I wanted to go further and explore what was possible with synthesis, I, I just felt that the guitar was so lacking um, in terms of converting the guitar signal into something that is useful for uh, synthesizer inputs and experimented a lot with the Axon, which was supposed to be one of the best uh, guitar MIDI converters, um, and then never really felt right. Um, and I just don't like playing piano. It's it's, just not, not, <laughs> it's not that simple. <laughs> well, you should count you should count yourself lucky because at least you're not a bass player because then you're not dealing with the laws of physics against you. You know, you've got that's one thing Gaz contends with all the time, I guess. Ah. So uh, so yeah. So um, I mean the the obviously you know you've also uh, 
involved in programming and that side of things. I mean, is th- are these two things running in concurrence or did you actually kind of learn the coding side of things so that you could get more involved or is that just something that you do anyway and it's, it's, it's a happy accident they've converged? No, I've, I've been coding from the same age. I've been coding from 12 years onwards um, and I have quite an extensive career in enterprise software development before joining some music technology scene. Um, so I learned how to program by programming financial systems and by um, programming of Java and quite tricky setups that have to behave in real time. And interestingly, it is quite similar because as soon as you have to deal with a lot of data that is even used for financial trading or whatnot, it's a similar kind of thought process towards programming with expressive data that has to come and flow through and then make a sound. Um, and yeah. So then evolved into that. And that's really interesting because I guess with financial markets, you know, that it's the instant, in, you know, very low latency is also very important as well. Yeah, that's, an, I, I, that, that's an interesting parallel. So, I, I mean, the other stuff that uh, has really uh, interested me about, you know, your path through here is obviously, um, you know, that you were doing the working with the Vogue. I saw a couple of performances with the Vogue guitar as well, which is more of your kind of traditional input, but it's got an unusual slant to it because of the way that that works. I mean, the Vogue 96? Sorry, the Vogue 96, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's again, I, I was trying to, to find a way to get more expressive with, with the guitar um, and got to, to know Paul Vogue from Vogue uh, because he, he worked on the on the Mo guitar and uh, and that particular um, technology, he used that to create the, the Vo 96 in a way. Um, and I thought it was interesting to try to combine that with my acoustic guitar uh, heritage. Um, and that never really went anywhere, but it was very interesting to try. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm thinking that you must have whatever part of the brain is that stores muscle memory that you have to learn for all these diff- different kinds of musical input. Yours must be highly developed to be able to actually play all of these instruments. I mean, I tried the Eigen harp, uh, the Pico, and I just yeah. couldn't kind of get my head around it. But then I don't have any experience in wind playing or any of that sort of thing. And that's where it kind of it, it seemed to come from for me. But I guess that's just because it's got a, a sort of reed type connector on it. Do you find you pick this stuff up quick or? I, f- I find that you have to work on the first type of, you know, so the first type of expressive instrument that allows you to, uh, be sensitive in three axes with your fingers. Um, the first one takes a lot of time, which was the icon harp for me. Um, that took me a few years of several hours of practice per day. Um, but once that is done, it's similar to you know, when you know how to play a guitar, you can pick up steel string guitar, you can pick up an electric guitar. You'll have to you know, discover what the, you know, the uh, specifics are of that particular guitar, the specific sound, the specific amp it's working with. But your muscle memory is there, your uh, hand-eye coordination is there. Um, so in terms of alternative controllers, even though they're physically all quite different, um, I've, I've also worked with a continuum for quite a while. Um, so they do have all a sort of similar approach where uh, you, you continuously massage three-dimensional data streams with your fingers. Um, and once that sort of takes in, you also learned how to use sounds in a way that works with these particular controls. Um, and once you start doing that, you know, it's, it's a little bit of work, but adopting a new one or trying out a new one 
gets you know quite easy actually. Oh, that's good. I've been recently working with the Roly Seaboard just just to do a review, and I found you know that the initial kind of burst of how to, I mean, obviously it's a very familiar instrument, but one thing I did find was that, that I was kind of having these really my hands hurt so much after a while because you've got these huge kind of slides in. Um, you know, and unusual angles that you end up tra- sort of transmitting, and it takes a—it's a completely feels like a different set of muscles. It's quite, but but hu- hugely rewarding. This kind of expressivity, and I'm guessing that's probably something that you find the same thing. Um, so so yeah, I, I I can see where the attraction comes, and it, it is actually quite liberating to be able to express more than you regularly do because you normally reach for the foot pedal or the mod wheel or all of those things but it's it, it feels that there's less of a that you're more still a bit disconnected i suppose somehow yeah it's much more intuitive wherever your emotions lead you towards you you're able to act upon it um and i find that you actually start creating sounds that uh, have less modulation in it that are maybe uh, less complex if you would play them from a keyboard, but that then allows you to be freer when, when, whenever you feel like it during the performance. Um, and it's interesting what you say about the muscles because you do start paying attention more, for example, to, to the initial attack, how, how your finger is going from the position of barely touching a surface and then easing into the note and the way you let go, the way you transit to another note, um, how, how all these you know, connections of your fingers that are moving across, how, how these all relate together. This is, this is quite different from other instruments. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. You, the nuance is definitely everything. So, can, so this uh, bass I've got here, gear, is, um, this is a MIDI bass, and it transmits, it's, a, it's an industrial radio uh, Pro 4, and... I'm quite excited about this, but I, I haven't done it yet. So I wanted to ask it. This is this is great. I've got a quick live question, if, if you don't mind. This transmits out uh, four on four channels, so mm-hmm. um, so it's actually perfect for the model 15 because that responds yeah. on four separate MIDI channels, doesn't it? So I could have independent pitch shifts per string, and yeah. uh, and also. Velocity destinations. You've got. Is it on model fifteen three? Velocity. No, you've got also. So each MIDI channel on the model fifteen can have mm-hmm. uh, independent velocity, independent pitch, and expression, uh, and aftertouch. Um, so what you are referring to is probably that on the modular itself, the velocity controller outputs have three jacks that allow you to wire it to three destinations without going through a mult. Um, but this is separated for each channel, so you will have independent velocity on each channel. On, on each channel. Mm. Mm. So this is my question. This is my question. Uh, with those three destinations, bearing in mind it's coming from a, like a bass playing perspective, where should they go? Yeah. That's part of the exploration, which, you know, that's what I like about, you know, the modular approach. You just try it out, and then if it doesn't yeah. fit, then you can drag the wire to another location and and start often start start dialing in this is something that i find that you need a lot more of is, is uh, attenuators because uh, you often don't want to express over the full range but doing a full filter sweep with like two two millimeters of finger movement is very hard to keep under control um, mm. so usually you select uh, an offset the base offset that you're going to start from 
and then decide what the range is that a particular control will act upon in real time. So often you start going through quite a few attenuators when you want to do these kind of expressive uh, uh, instrument controls. And yeah, you know, I, I would, it would be interesting to, you know, a typical thing is to start bringing in a second, second oscillator if the, if the velocity you know, gets higher. Um, start adding for, I like adding uh, more bass whenever uh, velocity gets higher. Um, you, you could do the traditional thing of opening up the filter a little bit more uh, or start starting some kind of, I, I like to do audio rate modulation also and bring that in very faintly so that, it, that it's like a little bit of distortion happens together with the bass sound. <laughs> Um, oh, hold on, hold. We're getting great. way ahead of ourselves. I was going to start okay, asking you. That, I, I'm telling you, that was dynamite there, Gid. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, honestly, thank you. Well, hey. <laughs> so this brings us on. This brings us on to the Model 15. I mean, obviously, the Model 15. Um, it. it it's hard to underestimate how big a deal this is because, I mean, when we met in Berlin at Superbooth, which was uh, great, thank you very much for giving us a bit of your time and, and showing us around the instrument, it was very clear that the Model 15 app is, is you know, in terms of incremental steps that tends to happen in, in technology leaps, this feels like quite a big step and it's sort of upping the game and it, in many ways comp um, competing with the VST-level instruments that run on desktops. I mean... I can imagine this was quite a, a hefty challenge uh, getting involved with. What made you get involved in doing that? I mean, obviously, the Moat brand is a big pull, but, I mean, were you thinking along certain lines anyway and then got involved? How did that come about? Well, when I when I joined Moog, I was using Animo quite a bit for expressive, you know, as an, as an expressive synth. Um, but it was not completely tuned into the expressive controllers, and I had been talking to Amos Gaines, who you all probably know, yeah. for quite a while about it. And um, since I was I was looking for an interesting uh, company to pour my creativity into, um, Moog was interested in hiring me, and then it started. Um, Model 15 app actually started sort of at the same time. Um, since we created a dedicated iOS team at that point, which, which I'm leading. So we've got a few people that are fully you know, focusing on iOS apps and on the maintenance of the iOS apps. And having that put in place allowed us to start designing the Model 15 app, think about how to actually you know, you know, create it, bring it to market, which, which technologies to use. Um, and we collaborated with Apple on the use of Metal for this app, which no one has ever done before for a music app. That's the graphical interface that uh, is offloaded to the GPU, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so yeah, there, there was an, a desire inside Moog to do something like this for quite a while. Um, an initial prototype of the sound engine to prove that something like this could be possible, but nowhere near this final result, uh, had been started. And then we basically, with the team took it from there and saw how we could make this app out of it. It's really, I mean, the thing, I, I was using it the other day, like I say, with the Roly, I was doing a little bit of music and I thought I'd try and add some bass. And it, it did that thing that Moogs do, which is just muscle in and take up all the room, <laughs> yes. which is which is great. I mean, you need to know how to position them in the, and it, it has that thing. I mean, 
How do you, I mean, how do you know when you've got there? I mean, do you, you, you have a sort of golden uh, Model 15 that, uh, that you work against, that you are analysing? I mean, how, how detailed do you have to get? Because I imagine you, it's really, really, really important that you get this absolutely right. And I, I think when we spoke before, you were saying that the engineers, the analogue engineers, had to be a group of people that were, you know, pleased and impressed with the results as well, right? Yeah. So, well, while developing the app, we... We just had a Model 15 sitting next to us, um, and you know, one of the things we kept going back to is checking on the uh, actually checking on the oscilloscope what everything looks like coming from the app and coming from the real Model 15, and making sure that it's spot on, um, and that translates into everything. It translates into the behavior of the knobs. It translates into intermodulation capabilities. It translates into timings, um, into harmonics, into how the, you know, how, how the, uh, um, <clears throat> the resonance of the filter behaves. It's just everything of, of, of the app. We, we checked it with Real Model 15. Um, and then one thing that sort of uh, passed it to the next level when we were working on this app was that we started calibrating the app as if it was a Real Model 15. So we took the actual calibration manual that we use when um, a real Model 15 is built and applied all the same principles and all the same test procedures to make sure that all these edge cases actually behave the same in the app also. And then yeah, the, fin the final tests, which, which we did in a few stages, was calling up people from production, setting them in front of the iPad Pro with the real Model 15 next to it and just letting them go, see if, see if they could dial in their favorite sound uh, and if it felt natural to them, and then making tweets. Wow, that's really interesting. Gaz, I think you want to come in there. Um, so from a software point of view, are, are all the modules then sort of in software, like a, a an actual separate module, you know, software module? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. So, so theoretically then it's a Model 15, but hey. <laughs> if, okay, yeah. they're all modules as individual modules. One thing we didn't do, which... Yeah. Uh, some software since say they do is uh, model each individual transistor and resistor and electrical component. We didn't go for that route because that seemed a little bit overkill. Um, mm -hmm. So we went on a model per model based approach where uh, the inputs and the outputs of the, of the modules uh, would actually behave the same way as the original Model 15. So that allowed us to do quite a few optimizations. It allowed us to create uh, algorithms that span a series of electrical components and uh, and behave in a coherent fashion for. for oh, so you model a, a, like a complete a circuit as a complete thing as an object rather than yes. the individual components within the circuit, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm. Ah, that is interesting. Ooh. And <laughs> I mean, the, the thing that really also is a big thing about it when you're obviously if you're running it on on one of the the, the kind of well-specified ipads is how responsive the engine is and the way that you can flow around it takes just a couple of minutes to kind of go oh right i need two fingers here i need one finger and then you're there and you're going and the fact that you've got that overview i mean i'm guessing ergonomically the challenges are there as well because you're taking something that is ostensibly a tactile three-dimensional object that requires interaction on that level and trying to translate it into effectively two dimensions on an iPad, I mean that. What what challenges did you have there? <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot. What we were really scared Lots. of is what you just said. Is um, we were convinced from the beginning that we had to have a very clear split between 
interacting with the sound, which is making changes to it, uh, so that people would feel comfortable about navigating around the app. So when you use two fingers, you're always absolutely certain that you're not going to touch the value of a knob or change where a wire is connected to. Um, we, we had a few other prototypes where one finger scrolling was activated and the whole perception of the app was quite different for a lot of people because they accidentally started making changes. Right. Uh, they thought that they actually hid in between the jacks to scroll around, but they didn't. And then it becomes a more frustrating experience. Um, so it, we took a long time coming up with all the gestures that it supports. Um, one thing that was kind of interesting, I thought, was when we, so you, you've got the switches on, on the Model 15, I know, I can show here. This, this so the, the yeah, red switch the classic here. rockers. Right. So one of the things you, as a software person, intuitively would do is you tap on the switch to rock it. Um, but every person we gave the iPad to that was used to using an analog synthesizer actually wanted to slide the switch because making the rocking motion, not tapping it. And they had a very frustrating experience with the interface because it was never, they just thought that the switches didn't work properly. Um, so we had to you know, come up with a whole bunch of gestures that are based on the actual intuitive uh, uh, use that people have for these types of controls. Um, well, that, that's interesting because in many ways it depends on, it's a, I'm guessing it's a general, because those people that were used to um, using the rocker switches are probably this many, whereas people who never have uh, touched a real Moog with those sort of switches is this many. So you have to make some, presumably, some decisions about which audience you reach if you're trying to, to make it kind of um, relevant for people who are used to using a touch interface rather than a hardware interface as well, right? Well, I think we... We were, we've been able to you know, cater to both with what we came up with, which was very important for us. Um, it, if we want this, when, when, it, when someone starts using this as an, on, an, on his iPad and is an established musician, we want them to feel right at home. Um, we also want someone that is, hasn't used an analog synthesizer before and is using the iPad, the Model 15 iPad app, to be able to step up to a real one and that is what happened at, at, at Moakfest. It was very nice to see. Both ah. people had already learned in a couple of weeks that it's been out, had learned how to use the Model 15 from the app and then just stepped up to the real one and started patching around and never actually touched the hardware modular before. That I, I, Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. But then you've, you've integrated that kind of uh, tutorial side of things, which helps people understand the whole uh. kind of signal flow and stuff, I guess. You seem to... Yeah, that... Well, I just up. had to go and I had to go and grab the Model 15 to try out the switches, <laughs> you know, because I honestly, this is a really responsive. Um, I've reviewed masses and masses and masses of apps, you know, and uh, I love it. I think it's just right. I think you've done an amazing job. Now, what question I wanted to ask though is about metal, really, because it it feels really responsive. And, and it, I don't know if you could quantify it in percentage wise, but I wonder how much extra juice you saved by moving over the stuff onto metal, or or if indeed metal makes it a more responsive experience. Well, one of the things 
that Metal allows on, on the iPad that you have and the more recent iPads is that it's full 60 frames per second. So that is sort of the threshold that a human needs for something to feel uh, real. So right. that's one thing. Um, now in terms of right. quantifying what we saved, it was completely impossible to run the audio engine together with the graphics on the iPad Air 1 without going to Metal. It's just no way it could be done. Um, this offloads very easily about on the iPad Air 1, 50% to 60% of the CPU usage to uh, Wow. GPU. Wow. Okay. That's wow. a really big deal. Yeah. And is that one of the... Because the other thing that people have been remarking on, I mean, we've uh, had Dave Spears uh, wrote me an email um, not, not that long ago saying the thing, you know, he used that awful phrase game changer because, you know, it, it's something that we, shy, <laughs> we try and shy away from here because it's such oh, a buzzword. God, yeah. But... Yeah. That whole level of being able to then add audio rate modulation. I mean, what are the, why is that so difficult? What is it about audio rate modulation in software in a kind of roughly layman's terms, but you can get technical? I think it's, it's probably based on how you design your synthesizer from the beginning. So we really designed it as a modular in the code that we wrote. So everything is actually connected through virtual wires inside of the code also. Um, and we just had to make sure that from any point onwards, from any point there is a juncture point where audio or control can come out, that it could be connected to anywhere else and that that would, in the code that we write at every point in time, actually have audio rate influences. Um, so one of the things that people often do in code uh, to get more performance is, for example, when you've got uh, a knob that is going to be the signal source, that they're only going to make changes when the values of the knob changes. Um, now, in, in, in our app, a knob is just another analog signal that comes in, and we will have a real-time audio um, virtual cable inside the app for that knob and that is the same for every part of the app um, and yeah that's that's to me essentially what made made audio rate modulation work and that we treat it as such everything is calculated in audio rate ha okay so i mean because i i was under the under the word under the under the impression that it was to do with sample rates and oversampling and all that kind oh, of yes. thing so, but but that's yep. Yeah, the app is extremely oversampled inside. So it is, it is four times oversampled inside the, the engine, um, which was necessary. Without that, the filter wasn't responding correctly. We, you know, too much anti-aliasing, uh, too much aliasing. Um, the whole, you know, the resonance was wrong. Feedback was not correct. You know, we need that kind of oversampling for this to sound right. Hmm, okay, that's cool. Right, we're going to yeah. take a little break here because it's time for a word from our sponsors. So if you need a glass of water, chaps, or uh, whatever <laughs> it is, uh, we'll be a couple of minutes. So thank you very much. We're, we're now uh, a word from our sponsors. Uh, Isotope uh, will be coming up because we're looking at the new vocal synth product from them. Those of you who are fans of the site may recognize the isotope fairy right at the beginning there this is isotope's brand new four engined vocal processor vocal synth capable of a, a quite different characteristics of processing 
There's the vocoder side of things. There's the polyvox, which generates harmonies and unisons. There's CompuVox, which is a more sort of unusual uh, computer-type voice, and a TalkBox, which is your classic TalkBox. And if you're interested in getting involved and trying it out, you go to isotope.com forward slash vocal synth and the there is usually a demo there so i'm pretty sure you can download that as well i want to say thank you very much to isotope for sponsoring the show and of course uh, we've got a competition but first we've got the winner from last week which is the first week we've done uh, the new product uh, we want to say a big shout out to dominic versetto uh, whose twitter handle is at dv Versetto with two t's uh, and he says i have brake tweaker and alloy i need vocal synth and uh, he indeed has it because he won the competition for last week. So if you're interested in winning this week, what you've got to do is uh, it's a Twitter competition. You tweet the hashtag Ultimate Vocoder as one word, the hashtag Vocal Synth as one word to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. I'll say that again. The hashtag Ultimate Vocoder and the hashtag Vocal Synth to Sonic State and at Isotope. Inc. Uh, because then you will be entered in the competition and we'll pick it up. It won't be next week because we've got a week off next week. Uh, the week after we'll announce the winner and I'm sure there'll be another competition as well. I want to say thank you very much to Isotope for sponsoring the show as ever. So, I mean, what's been the response like, Get? Because, I mean, anything mode does, you know, there's usually a massive outpouring of things and obviously there's been other news which hopefully we'll get onto as well and and the <laughs> fact that there's this, this, I mean, because you've got the you know, they, they remade the, the System 15, the Model 15 uh, I think, was it 150 of them they made as sort of a, 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 ba- a batch thing and now you've got this coming along as well, I mean, there seems like there are sort of multiple threads going on within the organisation for this, I mean, how, how has it gone down? Overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, every everyone that seems to get his hands on it and that is interested in, in in this type of synthesizer is you know having a great time and says that it sounds great and feels great. It's yeah, it, it's been kind of you know amazing to see the response. That's excellent. And I guess, I mean, at the moment, there must be so much going on What with MoFest. I mean, you know, everybody must be absolutely flat out at the company. Has it, is everybody now back uh, back from MoFest? Because, I mean, as we can see, you're in the room there. And I've always wondered, that's a heck of a lot of stock back there. What, what, are those um, Voyager racks to your left? Those are all Voyager racks. There's some more over there. Those are all Slim Fatties. Then a whole bunch of Mogerfogers. Um yeah. So tell me, are they all connected up, or is it like you know that the uh, the uh, in the heavy rock world they always put um, they put Marshall stacks which are dummies just so that you've got you know just for the impression, or are they all actually working and making a sound? Yeah, they're all actually working, and then well, this whole room is filled. It's got a couple of modulars in there, and it's it's quite amazing. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. So, uh, I mean, obviously, the, the, the other thing that's coming up, I mean, do you think, I mean, you say that there's an iOS app development team on the go and obviously supporting things as well. I mean, can you see, now you've built the sort of, the, the, the building blocks, you've got the filter right, you've got those oscillators right, those sort of things. I mean, is there room to expand? I mean, obviously, you're filling up the whole of the screen. I mean, could you build a bigger modular 50? Could you build other systems or are you kind of limited to the interface that you've got there? I mean, I'm guessing those are problems that would be difficult to solve just physicality well, we we definitely want to continue evolving the app in various ways um, 
there is obvious requests for more modules, more of this, more of that. I honestly have to say that we're at this point, which at this point, not specifically going to push on that because we modeled, we created the model 15, which is an instrument um, as such. So it has a particular characteristics and, and having certain limitations are also allows you to create certain sounds that are you know, part of that instrument. We did add a couple of additional modules to the bottom um, to, in, to interact with the iOS world, to, to add a delay, which is what everyone usually wants. And then, you know, kind of folding back to the beginning of the conversation, um, since the control signals often need some massaging in terms of attenuation, maybe amplifying, we added a few utility modules right underneath there so that you can easily do that. But that is sort of where it stopped in terms of additional modules. Now, one area that we will spend more time on, that's for sure, is the educational aspect. Um, so we have built two, two tutorials to start, um, which bring complete novices into the world of modular synthesis and sort of de demystify all the questions that they have and get, get rid of the initial um, uh, overwhelming nature of such a, of such an instrument um, so we're gonna we're gonna create additional tutorials there or also based on the feedback from users and actually there have been a few teachers already creating curriculums with it now um, based on their feedback we're go going to improve uh, that section of the app in terms of functionality um, so yeah now we've got the building blocks to do a lot of other stuff but that is yeah well that's I, I guess the thing is also I mean once you can make modules then there's, you know, effectively, you know, the, the, the System 15, apart from the uh, uh, routing ones that you've added, is sort of frozen in time. It's like a snapshot yeah. of that kind of thing. And this is something that's interested me a little bit is, you know, obviously interacting with the external world. I mean, there's there must be scope for kind of going, actually, I've got a really cool idea for a new module, you know, that something that Mo haven't built yet or don't build in hardware, but you could build it in software and create something that was that would maybe bridge between external and internal and synthesis and the way that things are routed. I mean, I, I, your, your brain must be full of that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. So, yeah, we're, we're really researching what's possible with what we built here. Um, but don't forget, we also have Animog, yeah. um, which is an app that has been doing very well for the last five years. Um, we've kept it up to date, and, you know, we're... So we've got a nice team working on our iOS now, apps now, so um, there are various things going on in very different, various different areas. I mean, one of the things that I, I know we spoke about in Berlin was this idea, you know, this this difficulty in creating uh, the 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 control the ideal controller for multiple types of synthesis multiple applications i mean and you're as a as an individual you know have explored the hardware interaction with software instruments and uh, 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 that side of things you know to it to a much larger degree to anyone else i mean can you see that there's room or, or there's, there's going to be some innovation that comes along that means you could automate certain things and have interactions with external midi controllers or maybe controllers that don't exist yet i mean what are your thoughts of the way that that's going So in terms of the Model 15 app, we already designed it in a way that allows you to be extremely flexible in how you control it from external controllers. So obviously, we built in uh, support for MPE for us as well as we could because the standard has not been approved yet. But we are, we are on the standards board, and uh, both Amos and I are, 
are working with uh, the MMA to, to get that standard done. Uh, so it's implemented in a way that is compatible with everything that uses MMP for the moment, but also it's got an extensive MIDI learn system that supports 14-bit, which is quite rare. Um, and I think that that is, that is quite important if you want to interface with external controllers, because it allows you to get all the nuances out, certainly if you start interacting with you know, something as obvious as a filter. Um, if, if you don't have 14-bit control and, and, and always fall in between those steps that are the limitations of 7-bit control, it gets quite frustrating. Um, now, in terms of hardware interaction with the synth, yeah, we've, we've done something like that. It's, it's very nice, Gaz, you, you mentioned that. The, the, the Mini is essentially Animoog's sound engine inside a physical instrument. Um, so we are definitely looking into ways of making our software synthesizers uh, interact with you know, the hardware world and the controllers that uh, work well with it. Hmm, interesting stuff. Great, great. yeah. Um, did you have something you wanted to add there, Gaz? I know it's an intake of breath. Uh, <laughs> no, because, I mean, the, the educational aspect I wanted to mention, just because in the presets, is it, you can save... You, you can make if you make a preset you can build your own sort of like tutorial of how you made the preset into the preset yes that's correct that's just a just such a superb idea i just thought it was that's brilliant is that your idea git <laughs> no we, we come up with these ideas collectively it's it's, right. it's very much team effort it, it's always based on uh, someone that, that finds a particular um the niche or the, the particular use case, and then we talk about it, and it's very difficult to know where any mm. of the ideas originate from. It's, sure. it's a collection of, of, of fragments of everyone. It's, um, but yeah, it's just a really, really great idea because you know I think uh, you know that, that's the thing I wanted to sort of talk about. You know that the way that the software world and the hardware world can so coexist, and that actually having that as an app doesn't negate having the physical thing in fact having that as an app could well very much lead to the purchasing of the physical thing uh, even though in terms of its musical value it's probably actually in many ways more usable being on the app than the, the real thing patch changing cool, all yeah. of all of the other things yeah. going on so it's just well listen you're having four of those that you can easily oh yeah with. it's yeah, four, yeah. four of them yeah absolutely <laughs> Yeah. Right. Well, um, obviously, <laughs> this is available in the App Store now. I mean, I noticed because I, um, I joined the beta program, so I'm getting pushed out releases saying, oh, there's a new version available. I mean, is there, what's the iteration cycle? I mean, are you kind of like constantly, because I mean, obviously, once it goes out into the world, it gets into lots of people's hands and you have to kind of go, oh, there's a there's an edge case, as you mentioned earlier, that, you know, might need tweaking. Or are you adding a little bit of uh, tinkering to the features or, you know, th that must be taking up a lot of your time right now. Yeah. Well, not that much. It seems that we, we had an epic beta pr process for this app. It, it went on for six months. So it's, it's been in the hands of many people, from various different horizons, various different use cases, um, various, various different interests. So it's been very well exercised, I think. We've got very low amount of uh, bug reports. Um, so the, the way that we, we now do the app development is that we very quickly do updates if there are issues that are uh, intervening with the actual uh, musical use of the instrument. Um, and then we package together more feature-based updates that can first be properly tested by the beta testing team 
in, in longer release cycles. So, right. yeah. Cool. Well, um, I think um, we should probably move on <laughs> to the other massive news, which also happens to be Moog as well. So I'm just going to pop yeah. this little video in there and see what everybody makes of it. This was the news it's at MoFest where monophonic synthesizer that were made between 1970 and 1970. Vintage Model D and Mini Moog was re we can control the oscillator sound from either the keyboard, from the pitch wheel, or automatically through modulation. That's the voice of Bob Moog there, and this is the, the, the site of the Model D, uh, which I think was based on the Rev 2, um, which was announced a Moog. I think, I'm, I'm not sure if I got, because the, the, the details are still coming out, but uh, it looks like there was an initial run of 30, and I don't know how many. I don't know how involved this you are, Gear, or whether you own a, a Mini Moog, or whether you intend to, because obviously being so close to the, uh, to the source must be a very tempting way to reinvest your earnings at Moog back into the company, right? Yeah, I've, I've not been personally involved with this project since Model 15 has taken up quite a lot of time of our team. Um, but I definitely am very interested in getting one of the Model Ds. It seems like a no-brainer. It's like a vintage Fender or Gibson guitar that you've always wanted, and now you can get it, and it's produced again and done. You know, after so many decades of hardware uh, knowledge, done with all the expertise that we have nowadays in the company. So it is, is definitely to me a very attractive proposition. It's interesting, Gaz, isn't it? The, the concept here, I mean, because obviously, you know, the, 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 when they were re-releasing the um, modulars, I mean, they're at, way out of most people's price range, you know, more for your collectors and enthusiasts, you know, people who've got, actually got that sort of cash. Whereas, this, I mean, it's still not, a, not an inexpensive instrument, but it's still probably cheaper than uh, a Mini Moog of that age and in that condition by quite a long chalk. Yes, and uh, you know, uh, I've often mentioned about my lovely six-month romance that I had with a, an old Model D uh, that a, a friend had lent me for that period of time, and was just a, it was a romance. What a beautiful thing it was, and I loved it. And it was the first synthesizer I totally understood. One, like you know, I sort of totally got it, and. And it was just so friendly and inviting and just such a beautiful thing. And then I remember playing a Voyager when it just first came out. Uh, and even though it was a really impressive thing, I just didn't take to it. I just was a little bit kind of, uh, oh, I don't know. I, and then they brought out the old school, didn't they? Which was to try and... Oh, which had more of the looks, yeah. Summon up the old... But it still wasn't the same. That beautiful thing. So when this news came out, I was just so delighted to know that there's going to be more of them. Yeah. I mean, because oh, a friend of mine was telling me that they were moving out of a studio and they left it on the car roof, drove off. Oh. I think it fell off and then was gone. I don't know if it smashed. I just, it was just a really... Oh, dear. And when I heard that story, oh, you know, it's, it's a painful story. It's a painful story. And if that was one less of these beautiful things, you know, but... The fact that these are so meticulous, you know, I think obviously the old ones are still going to have a cachet of being vintage instruments. But the fact that this is it's more than a homage, is it? It's like, well, know, it, it's it, a, seems, it seems to me like it's actually it, it's an increment because that they've chosen with this also to add extra functionality. The addition of an LFO 
in many ways could be seen as pretty controversial if you're you know you're sticking to the but actually you know in other ways it's actually really I, I liken it although it's slightly different to the MS20 desktop version which had incre- increased the features added sync added pulse width modulation those sort of things which made the synth just more usable I can imagine a Model D with an LFO I mean do you, do you feel do you, do you, how do you feel about that the fact that it has brilliant. been no absolutely brilliant I mean you know um I think it's I think it's about the experience of playing it because I know that if I got hold of one of these I would that that old romance from 15 years ago would flourish again you know it, it, because such a beautiful instrument the layout I mean I bought my sledge because the layout I couldn't yeah. afford a, a yeah. real one um, you know I bought the sledge because of, of that layout because of you know it's like this like you know, oh that love I once had you know that fleeting <laughs> summertime shadow, relationship yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah so I think I, I, I think them deviating a little bit as you say it's sort of just an increment uh, I, why not? It's a brilliant instrument. What, I mean, do we know what the tuning stability is going to be like on it? I don't know. I mean, you'd hope that that would be something that had been uh, improved yeah, as well. I mean, obviously, that's the but, thing. you could fix a few of those little things. But that might that, that might just not... change the nature of it. Have you got any inside information there, Git? <laughs> well, I don't know much about it, as I said. But what I do know is that. So the changes that have been made were the most popular aftermarket changes that people people did to the to the original Model Ds. Um, so these are you know requests that most people actually already have. Um, now, in terms of re- the recreating the instrument, it is an exact recreation of the original. Um, so it is as if you've had one from then, but it was built now. Um, do you know yeah. the, the other thing I was interested in was because um, uh, in the the video that uh, um, Synthtopia did, there was an illusion, but it didn't really explain. There's more CV connectivity. Do you know what addition? There's obviously the aftertouch output because the keyboard's got. Is there other stuff as well? Because I, I wasn't clear what that was. So the, the original Model D, if I remember correctly, doesn't have CV out at all. So they added CV out to ah. this version because that is what a lot of people wanted. Um, it also um, normalized the external out back in so that you can use it for overdrive um, and that then you can still put something else into external out. Um, and so it's got aftertouch and I think there's another, another one that's added to it because there are two additional trim pots that I can visualize so that you can attenuate the uh, CV output for the, these additional outputs. I. I think it is velocity, but it might not be. So that is just, you know, my okay. my guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I imagine, imagine again, you know, that challenge is, you know, not deviating too far from the original, but but making sure that you know it's got those extra things in it. But yeah, I think. I mean, as with, I think they did this with the sub thirty-seven, didn't they? They said, right, there's a, a limited run, and then. We waited and waited, wait. We don't know. I, I still not actually not totally clear whether there is now production of that or whether that's still we're still in the limited run phase. I mean, guessing with the Model D, as with the modulars, there's going to be a finite number of kind of new for old components that you can source, because as with as with um, certainly in the EU, you know, certain components you just can't use because they've got the wrong kind of heavy metals in them. So you have to be very careful about that. I don't know 
what the plans are there, but it's uh, obviously that they will be forthcoming. I, I, and I'm sure even if you knew, you couldn't tell us, Gip. So, uh, but they must have <laughs> sold those. They must have sold all of those things, right? I mean, they've gone. I'd imagine that lot. What do you mean? The ones Sorry, that, that, that that this production run must have been sold out, like you know, ten times over well, easily. Well, we only sold directly at Mokefest for now, so oh, yeah. we had a limited number of units there, um, and then you know the, the production is going to kick off pretty soon. Ah, so, okay. Well, yeah, I don't know if there's going to be any limitations on that. Um, right. Okay. Well, I mean, that's big news. I mean, the thing is, is this. I think it's kind of like you say, Gaz. It's quite, it's quite hard to underestimate the uh, or overestimate rather that the impact mm. that the many has had, just generally oh. speaking. Uh, and yeah, and although it's... you know it, it has a it has a sort of a vintage sheen across all memories of it because most of I mean I've never owned one. I've had one in the in the studio once or twice. But it, I, for me in the UK, it was never something that I got my hands on. You know, we were more um, the, the 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 lower cost Roland uh, Japanese and Japanese synthesizers were what we generally had our hands on in the UK around the time that we were starting out. Right. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were uh, mythical, mythical yeah. beasts. <laughs> and as I've said, but... as as I've said before. They don't fit yeah. very well when you've got all you've got is an S nine hundred eight bit sampler or a Mirage <laughs> and a, and maybe a D one ten which has you know the sonic depth that you then you try and shoehorn that into a mix and it throws everything out <laughs> the window yeah. very easily. Uh-huh. But it, you know, I mean, I'm such a prog rock fan and it's such a crucial part of the of the voicing of that. I mean, I don't like prog rock now, modern stuff, not much, some hardly. It's all stuff from then, uh, and because of the sounds, and the sounds are just ah, they're just glorious. And it's such the it's like, you know, when rock and roll bands started off, you know, it was you had to have a saxophone player. I think with prog bands, you had to have a, a, a mini moog. You know, it sort of it was or a, a trigger. <laughs> yeah, well, or and pop, a melatron. Yeah, <laughs> ah, but you know, amazing. It's just an amazing voice. It's like one of the most you know, important voices. You know, like Elvis is a voice. The Mini Moog is a voice. Uh, you know, That's it's an a, such an important voice of rock and roll. That is an interesting idea. So I've got one more topic to throw in because this is kind of slightly crazy. So uh, let's see what you make of this because this really is um, it, kind of weird. This. If it's the right thing. Aquasonic. That's right. This band between music who are performing basically underwater which is an interesting concept and uh, sounds very odd. Oh. But the other thing, well, I'll, I'll let it speak for itself. We won't play it all, but uh, you can see they're performing on the 26th, 27th of, of May in Rotterdam at a special event, mm. which is the Aquasonic event. I want to go. <laughs> and essentially they're in, they're in giant aquariums, 1,600-litre capacity with hydrophones. And she's singing underwater. This may or may not be um, Layla Skovmund. And these are instruments. That looks like a kind of... It's almost like a um, Celeste. I can't... I, you know what? I, I mean, I won't play it all, but basically they're, a, they're all underwater because 
when I watch that, it really reminds me of weird sci-fi kind of um, bodies being grown in tanks and kind of not quite human. But it's a really weird, really weird idea. I don't know what... I'm guessing, Gert, I mean, you're an experimental kind of fellow. Uh, I don't know whereabouts... I think you're Dutch, right? I don't know whereabouts in Holland you're from, whereas Rotterdam has a sort of history of uh, underwater performers or what? <laughs> but I'm from Belgium, so... Ah, I'm so bit... sorry. Yeah. Oh, close. I don't know. I've never seen underwater performance. It's it's quite interesting. I think the instrument that they used is the glass harmonica that we saw. Ah, it's, okay. It's glass, um, long tubular thing that you rub your hands on, and then through the friction of your hands, glass vibrates. Um, and they al- they always have to keep it hydrated, so it sort of makes it an obvious choice to play on play on the water. Yeah, and it does sound very... I mean, when you listen to the whole thing, there's this really sort of gloopy, deep kind of sub to everything because there's this kind of... You know, I mean, it's it's well worth a listen. And it's almost uncomfortable, though. I find it kind of really yeah. eerie and very, very creepy because you're... The, the singing, the singing, you know, because they are having to be conserving their air. You do get this feeling. I mean, I was listening with it uh, to it with headphones on and this feeling... <laughs> this, it does feel quite, you know, you got to come up for air. You can hear it in the voice, but it, but that gives us incredible tension. musical <laughs> tension. I thought this was amazing. I think it's absolutely de uh, rigor for everybody to watch this. I think it's such it's such an interesting idea to explore. It and you know to, to carry it out, and I'm so impressed that they've done it. And uh, you know. It, it is a va- it's completely valid. You could say, oh, you know, it's an art thing, but I don't I don't think so. I think it's completely valid. It's su- it's such an enormous thing. But how difficult to do? The fact that they've done it is remarkable. I think yeah. it's brilliant. It's amazing to rehearse this. Oh God! Imagine what happens to your skin. I mean, you know, you just end up like you know, you 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 you, you prune fingers. You'd have also because I mean, you know, a body when submerged in water for any length of time sort of degrades quite quickly. It must be really unpleasant to have to rehearse, or maybe they don't. <laughs> Who could tell? Just as much as swimming, <laughs> swimming practice. Maybe, that was interesting. maybe they actually rehearse out of water, and then when they perform, they do it in water, and then um, they have this uh, uh, intuitive response to this new situation that makes it sort of improvised and maybe yeah maybe it is very curious I, i've got a few facts and figures like i said uh, 1600 liter tanks uh, they're using hydrophones in fact what's really curious about well uh, brilliant about this is uh, there's a guy who uh, lives down the road from uh, the office here called matt nolan who's a cymbal and gong and triangle metallic percussion maker great guy we've uh, we we shared an apartment with him at messer a couple of times because he was on the it had a drum booth there and he was involved in the acoustic consultation and the making of the uh, some of the instruments but i mean the the, the idea that it was it, it started off with um Layla Skovman, who decided she wanted to find a way to sing underwater, and she developed this technique of holding a bubble, bubble in her mouth that you sing through, and that, but you have to create these melodies. I think some of them had tubes, but some of them have to. So you come up for air, and it's all written into the music. But they started off with. Uh, she started off by trying um, stringed instruments, so violins, which work. Apart from the fact that it fell apart after a couple of days, because I mean, obviously, it just got water laden, and, and I guess all the tension went. So you probably have to use make made out of other things, uh, waterproof earbuds, and they use hydrophonic microphone hydrophones in the tanks, and then place the instruments best for that, rather than mic up the individual things. I think the singer has a, a hydrophone quite close to her mouth, 
But it's like, it, it, it's years of experimentation and it's taken a long time. The other instruments were created by a chap called Andy Cavatorta. But it, it looks like a very odd experience to watch. And the way they've lit it and the way it's filmed, it's quite... It, it I don't know, it reminds me of aliens for some reason. I don't know why. It's really, really <laughs> odd. Yeah. Make me think of the abyss. Was the abyss. Like oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 yes, it does, doesn't it? They're all that sort of underwater. It, it, which, even though they're in these large spaces, I mean, it, it, it works in reverse. There, they're in these little tanks, but it doesn't look claustrophobic. It looks sort of large the way they've lit it and everything. But it's a very weird uh, concept. So, if you go to the concert, then you will see on stage a load of these aquariums. And then it'll be amplified like a regular gig, and you'll just watch the people duck down and perform. That is that what the concert will be? I think so. Yeah. My gosh, I want to go. Blimey! Well, well, here's wow. a couple of thoughts because uh, <laughs> one, one thing. One thing that one thing there's two issues here. There's one thing is um, the recorded sound sounds so great. There's so much sub and like really kind of infrasonic almost stuff in there with these kind of bubbles forming. You know, as I've tried to uh, vocalise. So, if you're amplifying it, what happens if you get feedback through water oh. with a hydrophone? Could you get these sort of situation where you get little sort of micro storms in the, uh, you know, as the water <laughs> oscillates, or could they crack? I mean, it must. I, I can't imagine that the, the technical difficulties there must be with that. That's interesting. I, I don't Very know if that's possible that that, that would happen. <laughs> but yeah, if you're interested in that, uh, uh, well, you better get over to Rotterdam jolly quick. I don't. I'd imagine that they've done some great press on this, so I'd imagine that the um, the least, tickets are yeah. probably gone, haven't they? So I, I can't imagine there's an awful lot. But but do check it out. There's some great. There's quite a lot of videos around of them I, working as well. I want them to get really massive, so they do the pyramid stage at Glastonbury. You know, so it becomes this big. You know, this big thing. Just be such a strange phenomena. Well, I wonder. I wonder. Well, yeah. Imagine doing that at a festival. What do you do? Do you bring the water in in the tank in one go with a crane? Do you put the tank on the stage and fill it up and then empty it somewhere, presumably afterwards? Because sixty. I don't know what sixteen hundred liters of water is going to weigh one point six ton metric tons plus, which is well, if it quite just a lot. do it on a, on a stage. In Glastonbury with no roof on and let the rain fill them up. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. So hold on, that's so. Let's think about that. So that's five performers, six one point six metric tons each. There can't be many venues where you can actually. Maybe, have... maybe they'll do it like the Cirque du Soleil, where they only do it in certain shows in certain venues, and maybe optimize the venue for it. I, I really enjoyed those shows from Cirque du Soleil that have been created for a particular, you know, location and even the location for the show could be just that maybe yeah i mean i, I don't know whether I, I i can't imagine i mean i also wonder because we're listening to this sort of these parts which are quite ambient and ephemeral what happens when they do an up-tempo number you know because i'd imagine if you get into something in a tank you know if you're playing a rhythm you know you can't help but move a bit or if you move vigorously then you're going to get a bit of sloshing going on which could kind of cause havoc with all sorts of reasons and i wonder also are hydrophones um, 48 volt phantom powered because that could also <laughs> present issues and uh, if anyone wants to write in with the answers to these burning <laughs> questions then I'd be very happy I think that probably about wraps it up for today I want to say thank you very much to everybody for joining us uh, it's been very good fun thank you Gert for, for joining us I'm sure you must be ridiculously busy so it's a, been a pleasure thank you thank you and uh, also Gaz thank you for joining us too uh, been a pleasure having you uh, too yeah, great. 
yeah no um and just yeah congratulations Gert, on such a brilliant app i'm really absolutely blown away by it absolutely even excellent right well before we go just a reminder about the competition uh we've got uh isotope uh remember you can win vocal synth their new vocoder plugin uh tweet the hashtag ultimate vocoder and the hashtag vocal synth to at sonic state and at isotope inc that's the hashtag ultimate vocoder that's one word and vocal synth one word to sonic state and at isotope inc um, but that's it for this week. Thank you ever so much for joining us. Like I say, next week there's going to be uh, no show, but we will be back the week after. And uh, in the meantime, I hope you have great weather and some form of summer. That's it for this time. Thank See you, you guys. Much. See ya. Bye-bye now. <laughs>